Hi everyone, this is Stephanie from From the Lighthouse. I'm here at the International Association for the Study of Popular Romance Conference again, and I am again being a roving reporter. And today I have a very special guest, which is Dr. Jodie McAllister. And um, Jodie is a graduate of Macquarie University, so that is why I asked her to come and speak to us. So hi, Jodie. Hi, Stephanie. So Jodie is currently a lecturer in writing and literature at Deakin University, and she has earned my eternal envy because she did spend some time at the University of Tasmania. (laughs) Um, And she is an academic who is a love doctor. And I have to say it that way. I'm sorry. I don't know why. Look, fair enough. (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) And Jodie is also a novelist. She is the author of Valentine, Ironheart and Misrule in the Valentine series. But today I wanted to talk to her about her talk that she gave the other day, which I found very interesting because it's something about which I know nothing, which is the bachelor <laughs> so why are you interested and as a, as an academic and as a viewer in the bachelor what can we learn from the bachelor or the well, bachelorette yeah or well, i would think i was talking mostly about the bachelorette yes this time uh, yep. i'm really interested in the bachelor because it's unusually long running as a romantic reality tv show mm-hmm. so a lot of the early romantic reality tv shows things like uh joe millionaire or for love or money, they petered out after a season, two seasons. They didn't last very long. Mm-hmm. The Bachelor has been going pretty much nonstop since 2002. So there's been 22 seasons of The Bachelor in America and 13 of The Bachelorette. In Australia, we're just about to start our sixth season of The Bachelor and the fourth of The Bachelorette. Mm-hmm. And so because it is uh, extended for most of the 21st century and it's so unusually long running, it's clearly resonant in some way. Like it's working for audiences. Yeah. And I'm really interested in working out why that is. Mm-hmm. And the focus of my research at the moment is working out what works for specific national audiences and how that's the same kind of across different elements of the franchise and how that's different. So how do we, what love stories are resonating differently in the US versus in Australia versus in New Zealand versus in Canada? Mm. Uh, And why didn't The Bachelor work in the UK so well? What happened there? So what is the difference um, between Batchy, which Mm -hmm. I understand is Australian Bachelor, Bachelorette, versus say US because you talked about this through the case of a a dude called Maddie J. Maddie J. <laughs> Sounds like a white rapper and he actually does rap at does one he? point in the season. It's oh, very, no. very embarrassing for everybody involved. White men, stop it. Sorry if you're listening yeah. to this Maddie J, but that was bad. You know, that was bad. <laughs> uh, so there are a few differences. Some of them are in the structure of the show. So Mm -hmm. it's, I mean, obviously they're from the same franchise. So there are a lot of different similarities, a lot of things we've become really culturally familiar with. So things like the rose ceremony Mm -hmm. where the the bachi, which is a very Australian term, but I really like it because it's gender neutral. So you don't have to say bachelor or bachelorette all the time. So that's where the bachi will eliminate their contestants. They give roses to the contestants that they want to stay and the ones that get eliminated don't get a rose and have to leave the tail between the legs i was, was going to say deflowered and that has a completely different meaning and i should know better because i wrote a phd on virgins at macquarie university um so those elements remain the same but there are some important structural differences so in the u.s there's a step when there's only three contestants left which are the notorious fantasy suite dates which is basically where sex is inscribed into the narrative like mm-hmm. we we all know what goes down or at least what 
they want us to think goes down mm. in the fantasy suite. Uh, we don't have sex in the Australian version. Uh, in the very first season, which starred Tim Robards, Macquarie alumnus. Woo! So there's some more. <laughs> We've got a bachelor scholar and a bachelor. Go Macquarie. We just need a bachelor right now. Yeah. Well, you know, give it time. Give it time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he was offered fantasy suites and he just turned them down and yeah. was like, no, I don't think that would be respectful to any of the three women left. And there's been no sex in the Australian franchise since, except in Bachelor in Paradise, the spin-off, but that's a little bit different, kind of plays by different rules. Mm. And the other area in which we're quite different is uh, what happens at the very end. So in Australia, it just ends with the Batchy picking the winner and saying, look, I love you. And they say, I love you back. And <laughs> then I guess they gallop off into the sunset holding hands and the aim is to establish a serious committed relationship in america however that's almost always paired with a proposal mm. and so i've just done some research which uh is out for review and will hopefully be published uh looking at i did a linguistic analysis of the declarations of love in australia versus the u.s over the last five years right and in australia uh people will say i love you once Typically, maybe it just gets a bit embarrassing after that. You're like, yeah. Okay, that's enough feelings. You've already said that. Yeah, you don't need to say it again. Yeah, I got yeah. you. I heard you the first time. Yeah, but in America, it will be repeated five, six times, oh, wow. and then there's a proposal. Mm. Typically, it's always the man who proposes as well. There's a really interesting thing where in Australia, that final declaration of love, if you look at the word count, it's always the bachi that speaks more. Right. In the states, it's almost always the man. Mm. And it doesn't matter whether that's the bachelor or the bachelorette. Oh, isn't that it, interesting? And yeah. it's, it's because the man is the one that proposes. Mm. So there's quite a diff. The the aim there is very much engagement as mm. opposed to relationship. So conservative. Yeah, mm. and possibly it will surprise no one that Australian bachelor and bachelorette has a comparatively much higher success rate than yeah. American bachelor. <laughs> They're batting at one of twenty two bachelors made it to the altar. Surprisingly enough, having, you know, a relationship play out with a camera in your face might not be conducive to long-lasting. Yeah, particularly if you're <laughs> at the end of that period, which is eight weeks. And mm -hmm. over the course of that eight weeks, it's been estimated a contestant would spend about 40 hours with the Bachi. So, mm. I mean, that's less than two days aggregate. And, yeah. I mean, that's not that's very not really. much time. <laughs> no. So, in, in Australia, where, uh, where you just have to, you know, establish a relationship at the end of the day... Uh, then, you know, there's a bit less pressure, really. Yeah. And we've only ever had one uh, relationship breakup immediately, mm -hmm. which was Blake Garvey and Sam Frost, and he was the only bachelor that did propose. Oh, so, interesting. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. That might be correlation, causation. There's a, a thing there, but yeah. it is interesting that that's the one exception yeah. to the rule. So what happened with Maddie J and Georgia Love, which was yeah. her real name? Amazing. It was her real name. And her dad, who's a urologist, is literally called Dr. Love, oh. which, like, what a great name for a urologist. Amazing. Uh, so, yeah, Georgia <laughs> was the Bachelorette on the second season of The mm -hmm. Bachelorette Australia, and it's uh, quite interesting that she didn't come through the typical pathway to be a Bachelorette. Mm -hmm. Bachelorettes are usually contestants from previous seasons of The Bachelor. She kind of came in cold as it were mm -hmm. they just kind of plucked her out of i don't want to say obscurity because she was wherever a, these these yeah. pre-bachelors come from yeah. well she was a <laughs> successful television journalist in tasmania and because right. i was like living in tasmania at the time i you know i, was, yeah. I felt a real connection <laughs> to georgia love she, yeah she was great actually and maddie J uh was the runner-up on her season and in the 
typically contestants that are going to be contenders, they they make a point of highlighting them quite early on. Mm-hmm. I don't think anyone actually knew Maddie was there till about the third episode. Right. So it was a very interesting relationship construction. It was really, really slow burn. There was no eyes meet across a crowded room. Like, Georgia barely knew he was there. The audience barely knew he was there. If you look at recaps, he's not mentioned literally mm-hmm. until episode three. And then they built up this relationship that had a really strong basis of friendship. It was all about communication, conversation, uh, gradual emotional closeness. Uh, Whereas if you look at what happens in the States, the relationships that are, you know, kind of resonate with audiences most, like the one I talked about in my paper between Peter Krause and Rachel Lindsay on the 13th season of The Bachelorette, Mm. there was this really strong physical passion that Mm. was kind of emphasised in the construction of that narrative. So you were talking in your paper about how that um, that passion versus intimacy yeah. plays out between the US and Australia. What we want is a lot of like soulful talking. Yeah. <laughs> and I have a few theories around why this is and yeah. one that I'm kind of tossing around is uh, the idea of mateship has been so prominent yeah, in Australian yeah. culture that I think we've got friendship is really ingrained as something, typically a discourse women don't have access to. Mm. And so I think in a lot of romance narratives, uh, it's a way that women can kind of have discourse to that yeah. that privileged kind of uh, relational space. If That's really interesting because we do tend to have this blokey discourse around mateship and this this kind of talking kind of relationship yeah. seems to encroach on that. And territory. the scholar of mateship, uh, Nick Dyrenfurth, says that the discourse of mateship, this bond between Adam and Steve, is yeah. an like alternative genesis story for Australian culture. Like it's yeah. it's really, really important. So I think the role that friendship as a, as a concept plays in Australian romantic literature is really interesting. I've looked at some of this in 19th century colonial romance novels mm-hmm. as well, which, I mean, they have of their own things going on, <laughs> yeah. such as racism. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, that, that kind of idea of friendship comes through really, really strongly. I was going to, that was going to be my next question, so you sort of preempted that. Um, is that that kind of passion versus, intim- versus intimacy kind of chatty love, I suppose, mm. is that something that carries over to romance novels as well as, you know, television and pop- popular yeah. culture kind of Well, it's, it is hard to talk about, and this is something that the Genre Worlds team talked about in their mm. keynote the other day when they talked about how a lot of Australian authors don't actually position themselves as Australian authors mm. and they don't write in Australian landscapes necessarily. I think in rural romance, which is yeah. one of the really notable, specifically local genres, you do get a lot of conversation. Uh, they're maybe not quite as spicy as some other romance, but some of that is also to do with their genre of position. They kind of sit more alongside contemporary women's fiction mm. and that kind of the, like the commercial Big W book yeah. as opposed to the romance genre proper. Though mm-hmm. that distinction between commercial women's fiction and romance is a very yeah. fraught and problematic space. Like I don't... I don't know quite where yeah. one would draw the line, really. But certainly you do get, in books set in Australia, you do get quite a lot of conversation. It's just a little bit harder to identify in romance novels because then you have to ask yourself, what makes an Australian romance novel? Does mm. it have to be by an Australian author? Does it have to be set in Australia? Mm. So Anne Gracie uh, is one of our most successful Australian romance authors, but she writes almost exclusively Regency romance novels, and they sell mostly in America. America yeah. How do we discuss her as an Australian romance author? Mm. But then I think 
I would need to do a, a major sustained <laughs> reading yeah. program, I think, looking specifically for this. The culture in which you grow up obviously yeah. will influence yeah, yeah, yeah. the way you see romantic love. So I wouldn't be surprised to see some of that coming through. I just kind of don't have the data on it yeah, yet. Yeah, of course. The Bachelor is a great case study because it's contained. Yeah, no, it's contained and it's it, it offers a nice kind of, I think, um, from what you were saying in your talk, a nice kind of comparison across across different cultural groups. So yeah. that's a, a lovely way of kind of thinking about it. And you are comparing apples to apples. Yeah, that's right. Because they're all yeah. from the same format. So. Yeah, yeah, even though there's some interesting differences. Yeah. All right, we only have about two more minutes, but in that two more minutes I was wondering if you could just talk briefly about the work you did at Macquarie, which was your yeah. PhD on virginity. I did. So uh, I worked under Associate Professor Shuming Tao, who I'm sure many of you will know who has appeared on this podcast before. She's my one of my most wonderful colleagues. She is extremely great and mm-hmm. I cannot sing her praises highly enough. Mm-hmm. So my PhD looked at representations of female virginity loss in popular literatures, uh, Anglophone popular literatures. So I looked in two, uh, two spaces. I looked at autobiographical stories and I actually uncovered kind of this genre which I call the virginity confessional uh, virginity loss confessional genre should remember the name of my own term Uh, (laughs) which were these anthologies of virginity loss stories and they all kind of said we're the first person to ever do this and yet there were like 10 of them they were not (laughs) aware of each other (laughs) at all so I analyzed the stories in those uh, Mm -hmm. paying particular attention to the stories of female virginity loss and then I looked at romance fiction Mm. so I looked at historical romance fiction I looked at uh, what's called category romance fiction, which is what we might think of as Mills and Boone, particularly in Australia. There are other people that publish category romance, but Mills and Boone's a big one. And then I looked at Twilight and Fifty Shades, but specifically uh, the Amazon reviews and looked at the way people responded to the way virginity loss was represented in those books. Yeah. And uh, what I came up with, my kind of ultimate finding, was that there's this idea percolating around virginity loss for women that uh, unless you do it in a very romantic context, it's wrong, it's bad, it's deviant. Mm. And so I was kind of thinking through this idea, uh, coining some terms. So uh, demisexuality is a sexual orientation, which uh, if you're demisexual, you don't experience sexual attraction without the presence of a strong emotional bond. Mm -hmm. And so I argued that a lot of virginity loss stories for girls are typified by what I call compulsory demisexuality. Mm. Riffing on Adrian Rich and compulsory heterosexuality. Yeah. Where if you experience sexual attraction without this emotional bond, at least the first time you have sex, mm. then you're positioned uh, in what Mimi Shippers calls pariah femininity. Right. That's really, really interesting. And I want to talk to you about that at much greater length <laughs> at a later day. And I want to talk to you about your YA fiction. Yes, which at is, a later day, which is a lot of fun. Which is a lot of fun, and you've got a new book coming out. I do. So the yeah. third book in my Valentine series will be coming out February twenty nineteen. The cover has just been released. If Ooh. you look at my Twitter page, and you are at Twitter. Uh, I'm Jody M C A. So J O D I M C A. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to I'm going to preface. Um, me inviting you back into the studio (laughs) and say please come and talk to us about your YA writing at some point. Absolutely. Fantastic. And now we have to go um, because we have to go and attend a fancy book launch, don't we? Um, Of a book that that Jodie is in. Yes, uh, I I co-wrote a chapter with the wonderful Shuming Tao. And that, remind me of the title. Uh, That one is about love in Australian romance novels. Excellent. So thank you very much, Jodie, for letting me eat into your lunchtime here at the conference. (laughs) Um, And this has been another episode of From the Lighthouse. If you could please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, that would be very, very appreciated. And please look at Jodie's Twitter, which is a font of all things (laughs) romance and the back 
batchy. So much batchy. So much batchy. Thanks again, Jodie. My pleasure. See you later.